Act 4, Scene 2. Again in Faustus' study, the scene begins with Faustus addressing Mephistopheles, whose costume for a masquerade. He wears some woman's clothes and a powdered wig. Dobbs of rouge spot both his whitewashed cheeks. You gave me counterfeit of what I want. I do not care for wealth, power, or fame. All I wanted was the truth, to know the truth. To what I ask, I want no lies. But now I see all these conjuries, spells, illusions, books from lost libraries, alleged of Arab mystics, Egyptian priests, or Greeks who'd hidden them in ruins, are fabrications. You made them up. Or rather, it should be said you deceived me to believe to see their written word appear as when read, to well up black against pages that are blank. Whatever I see is illusory belief. You surround me by a mirror of me. No, 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 not so, dear doctor. Do you know how genuine the pain, how true the suffering, the benefit to man for all the good you do? In consequence, it's due. M begins to undress. The cause is not me. In consequence, not my will. It's Lucifer. It's Satan. Or whoever is the one that masters you and me. While Faustus stared in disbelief, M removed his dress, showed a woman's body, underneath. I have no God. I've only you. This nude he sloughed. The lovely form fell like silken underwear. And if this is fantasy, then I am one as well. Mephistopheles, now shed of loveliness, skinned alive very like a snake, revealed his blackened shape. It blended with the dark, blurred and acted liquid at the edges of mere air, but thicker, quavered, then congealed. And he sat himself at Faustus' desk, his soupy elbows sloped, and in the wobbly cradle of woven, wavering fingers, he set his hovering chin and smiled coyly at him. I am not evil. I am natural. Faustus turned away and thought, I do not want this world as it is. Why? burst M's mocking voice. To what other world shall you go? I must go back to where I began.
Aha! He wants to be young again. M fumbled for the books that lay bestrewn the desk, opened randomly, pawed at pages found in mumbled verses which made a flower to grow out of Faustus' left ear, who, ignorant or else had not felt it, was oblivious, as it shriveled, withered, fell to dust. Well, nothing can grow in there, M said he'd try another thing. Did you say something? Faustus scratched his ear. Interrupting, students clamored into the study in a noisy crowd, scrabbling, moving furniture. Brandish vintages picked up books, and milling set the place for school. Faustus had forgotten, but Mephistopheles leapt into his costume and greeted them like chums. Tables and chairs turned hurriedly, aligned before Faustus' desk neatly, the stage of academic entertainment, and uncorked bottles poured out the wine to uplifted glasses. They joked and buzzed in jocular expectation. What lesson will be had? Should it be Homer's Iliad? Faustus had other things in mind, and would have quit the class, but Mephistopheles volunteered to teach. He opened up the ancient epic and began to read from chapter 21, how Achilles chased a mass of fleeing men into the river Xanthus, where drowning in its swirl and tides were likened under locusts swarming from a fire. He thrust his spear into the river's bank, raised his sword and leapt into the raging roar. He swung its blade all around and killed these men, killing them like Dolphins trapped by nets when driven wild to a harbor, who not escaping dread shrieked and dyed the water with their blood. Yet Achilles would not relent until Zeus himself afraid, horrified by what he did, hurtled him on crest of waves, expelling him blood and foam, but not before all were massacred. And this vivid poetry am edified with scenes and imagery above their heads. There it was, the rivers charging in its roar, the screams of dying men and Achilles in the size of life madly murdering. Spray of bloody water felt, the river thundered and heard out in the street, where passers-by saw walls shuddering and bade constabulary to intercede on cries for mercy, although they were in Greek. But when intruding officials had entered Faustus' house, the students looked asleep from boring lectures, scholarly delivered by Mephistopheles, who looked a frail, old, defrocked priest with warts on his nose, and weeping pimples on his peaky cheeks to whom officials could not bear to speak, his open mouth, his breath so putrid reeked. They left, abusing rabble who'd crowded, craning at the door to see that Faustus finally got what he deserved, pounded from the doorway, beaten with batons, while students hooting cheered on. The nosy gawkers yelped and groaned, well, Mephistopheles nasally droned 
his lesson resumed. And poof! Stood there beside him, alive and real, Helen of Troy, of whose lascivious adultery this lurid tale of death and war is made to song and celebrated for. Faustus knew her not at all. He'd never seen her likeness. If she were imaginary, she came of other sources, other resources than his mind. Nothing read, nor seen, nor dreamt. She must be genuine, or else an apparition of something drawn from other than the well of reason. She was this way, like Alexander, one self-possessed, and given gift to speak the Germanic tongue, she spoke it well. They asked her tell how she betrayed her husband Menelaus. She confided that the judgment of Paris is falsely told by Apollodorus, and others who might limit the number of contestants to beauty to three, that there was also she. When Paris asked to see them each remove their clothes, and she the last, feigning modesty, and youngest of them all, she the only one who blushed. So the verdict, although it's told contrarily, went to her. The rest is known, how Aphrodite, Hera, and Athena, out of spite and jealousy, arousing Greeks and Trojans to enmity. Strangely, natural, preternaturally, was this Mephisto's chicanery. She did not depart, concluding her part. Well, she had not been Faustus' conjury. She was not his to dismiss at any rate. She was not like Christ, manifestly his mentality. She was, as she should have been, as she appeared to be, the original, if that one had not been fiction. Or was it because she was fiction that she was real? So she stayed. She took a room, became a constant, and daily seen not just by him, but by all of them. Even townsfolk knew her name, and often she was seen in the lane, and caroused in taverns like anyone. Now, to this permanent residence, Alexander joined in recurrence, habitually to Württemberg, as if when sleeping was disturbed by dreams in which he appeared out of his ancient past to this present, and conversely sleeping here should dream his self to be there, and then materially transformed the body with the mind nimbly going, vacillating, but not remembering one world in the next, except that Faustus enabled him to recall what he dreamt when enthralled by the other, true reality, his life. And so in coming back, he reported the gradual progress of the actual, describing battles, the famed events, which were confirmed by literature. It's impossible to live twice, improbable to be simultaneous. One person times two, a spliced instance, one at once in two places. 
Conversing, they shared their wonder. For in the presence of one another, while they talked and each understood what the other one had said, and knew by common experience, by eating or drinking, by feeling, this was real and that was dead. They affirmed the absent selves, the former Helen, the other Alexander. For all continues something from somewhere, sometime, other than what we're aware. We think it, and it thinks us. A voice replies in deep sleep. It's also there when we're alone, this realm from which each comes. Faustus, therefore, took his presence as he also took Helen's residence for mystic meaning, what's meant to be, compelling opportunity, intent reality. So while originally the fiends, illusions of Mephistopheles, Alexander and Helen soon became Faustus' most intimate companions, with whom he readily could speak and by whom was easily understood even troubled thoughts, or thoughts that were too difficult for words before he tried Mephistopheles, he spoke in private to these. He increasingly mistrusted M. He knew that he would not receive from him anything that was genuine. Mm-hmm.